Well, good morning. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to John 19, verses 25 through 27 is what we're going to be looking at. And we've got a little bit of feedback here. Uh, we can, there we go. As we look at that today, uh, I don't know what translation is going to be on the screen, but I'll be reading in a minute. And you can, uh, you can follow along with me or look on the screen, either one. And then look, or look in your Bible. As we continue looking at the last words of Christ today, which we've been doing uh, for several weeks now, this is the third one in the series that we're doing. Today we're going to be looking again at John 19, verses 25 through 27. And so here we read those verses. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. And then he said to his disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Out of the four gospel writers, John is the only one who records Mary's presence at the cross. Now we would expect her to be in Jerusalem because Luke 2.41 says that every year his parents went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. And that was really down from Nazareth and down from Capernaum and those places. But everything was referred to as up to Jerusalem no matter which direction you were going from. And so Mary would have gone to Jerusalem with the family and friends for Passover. And now her son is in trouble. He's been arrested. He's been tried. He's been condemned. And now he is dying on a cross. And Mary's place is close to her son. This one that she gave birth to this child of promise that came from the Lord God Almighty, this child that she gave birth to who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so Simeon's prophecy that we read about in Luke 2.35 at Jesus' dedication there has come to pass where it says, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. She is brokenhearted. It is as if somebody has taken a sword and shoving it through her. As you would be too if you had a child and you saw that child who's now an adult man, whether a child or an adult, whatever, hanging on a Roman cross. A Roman cross is one of the most cruel ways of punishing and, and bringing people to death that there ever was. It was just awful. And it was always done in a public setting where others would come by and see this person on the cross or persons on a cross, as the case might be, to discourage them from doing anything that would go against the Roman government. She is near him now, but her heart is broken. And Jesus, hanging on this cross knows that someone is going to need to take care of her. Yes, he will die. 
but he will be resurrected. We know the rest of the story. Yet he still, after resurrection, will not be around that long before he ascends to heaven to be with the Heavenly Father until his triumphant return. And I promise you that's going to happen one day too. So he is concerned about his mother. And he wants her to be taken care of because he's going to be gone. He is the oldest and he wants her to be provided for. But let's ask some questions. Why does he, you know, go with John, this disciple, the one the disciple he loves? First of all, why not Joseph? You remember Joseph? He's an important part of the story, right? We go back to, uh, he was betrothed to Mary way back there. And, and God spoke to him and told him, you know, that, that, that it's going to be okay even though she's pregnant. We know you didn't do anything. You didn't do anything wrong. This is a special child from the Holy Spirit. And he stuck with her. He didn't put her away. He stuck with her. He followed the Lord whenever the Lord told him to take this child and go to Egypt until the Lord told him to return when Herod was trying to kill all those that were two and under, being a, trying to get rid of Jesus because he had heard about this king of the Jews. But the last mention that we have of Joseph in Scripture is found in Luke 2.41, which we just read earlier about earlier. And that's when Jesus was at the temple as a 12-year-old, basically 12-year-old boy, where they'd gone down there, remember that, you know, and he had... He had, the, the family had headed back home and they got back, you know, a day's journey and they realized Jesus wasn't with him. Now they weren't bad parents. They just thought he was hanging around with the other children because the children were probably playing. You know how children have a whole lot more energy than you adults, right? That are adults. I promise you. We got to where we can handle about one grandchild at a time overnight and then that's it for us. We're worn out. They just, they just got energy. And so he, he was, they thought maybe he was hanging with the other children, but they got where they were for the night and realized he was not there. So back they go and they find him doing what? Teaching people in the temple courts. And between that event and his beginning of his public commitment, we have a, a, a public ministry. We have what we call the quiet years of Jesus' life. We just don't, we don't have anything else that's told us during that time. So what was going on in Jesus' life? Well, Jesus was growing on up, becoming a man. We know that, Jesus, that Joseph probably trained Jesus in his own trade, which was as a carpenter. Because, jo because Jesus did something to make a living between the time he came into adulthood and he began his uh, his public ministry at 30 years of age. And so he was a carpenter like his father had trained him. We also know this, that Joseph and Mary had other children. They had children together after Jesus was born. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Most scholars believe Joseph was probably several years older than Mary. She was probably a very young teen at the time of their betrothal, which was not uncommon. And he was probably already at least up in his 20s and working so he could provide for her if he took her on as a wife. 
And so he was probably several years older than her. He was faithful to do what God told him to do in relation to, to, to Jesus. And we have no reason to doubt, even in those quiet years where nothing else is mentioned about Jesus, that that ever changed, that Joseph, as long as he was alive, was there and he was engaged and he was continuing to serve the Lord. But most likely what had happened is that Jesus uh, lost his earthly father, Joseph, sometime between the time he was approximately 12 and the time he was 30. And so that's why we don't see Joseph at the cross. That's why we don't hear anything more about him. He, we hear about the real important part of the story that he plays in God's plan, and then he's, he disappears. But he did not just disappear. He does not stop loving Jesus. He probably had passed away. So, if Joseph could not take care of Mary because he was gone, Jesus was the oldest child, that lives then on the responsibility of the oldest child. But Jesus is hanging on a cross. He knows his time is near, his end is there. He is fixing to die. He knows that. He knows the whole story. He's not going to just stay dead, but he knows he's not going to be around. He's going to have to ascend. He's already told, he told his disciples all this was going to happen. He told them, I'm going to, going to die. I'm going to be raised up. I'm going to go back to be with the Father, and then I'm going to return someday. So then number two, the question is, if Joseph was not around, why not one of his brothers? Half-brothers. Children that Mary and Joseph had together. Jesus' brothers and sisters, if you want to jot these scriptures down, are mentioned in various groups of them in Matthew 12, verses 46 through 50. Matthew 13, 55 through 56. Mark 3, 31. Mark 6, 3. Luke 8, verse 19. John 2, verse 12. And John 7, verse 3. Acts 1, verse 14. 1 Corinthians 9, Verse 5 and Galatians chapter 1, verse 19. Of the brothers that Jesus had, only four are named in Scripture James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Now, this is not Judas Iscariot, so don't get that mixed up. This is not the one who betrayed him. It was not his half brother who betrayed him. This is different. So four name, where it refers to his sisters, it's plural, but it never tells us how many he had, but we know it had to be more than one because it's used as plural. But their names are never given. So why not his brothers? Well, here's the deal. We're told that none of his brothers, Scripture, if you read some of those passages, were disciples yet. They didn't believe yet. They did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They might have been a little jealous early on because of 
You may just, can you imagine this? You're living and growing up in the household with the Messiah, the guy who's perfect, who never does anything wrong. Uh, and I mean, literally, doesn't think he does. He just doesn't do anything wrong. He's not. He doesn't sin. And and, and you know, Mary treasured all these things about this in, in her heart. Remember, and so I am sure. I am sure it might have come across like this a time or two, maybe, maybe not intentionally, but might have been like, why can't you be a little more like Jesus? Why can't you, why can't you behave like Jesus does? So maybe there was a little jealousy there, but for whatever reasons, they were not believers yet. They were not disciples. But we know that James would become a devout disciple. We can tell this from his epistle in the New Testament. And we're pretty sure that the little book of Jude was written by Jesus' half-brother because he identifies himself as the brother of James, talking about James who wrote the epistle. And that's probably, Jude here is probably the same person that's called Judas earlier. Probably changed. I mean, you wouldn't want to go around being known as Judas after Judas had betrayed uh, Jesus, right? I mean, let's face it. I mean, how many of you know anybody's named Jezebel today? If, they, if anybody names their child Jezebel, a girl Jezebel, they don't know what they're doing, right? And so that's probably who it was. Because they were just not believers yet. And so he... He could not entrust his, them, his mother to their brother because they just didn't get it. So Jesus, see, not only cared for his mother's physical needs, wanted them to be provided for, but he had a profound spiritual concern for her spiritual care as well. And, you know, in the household, guys, if you're faulting on this, Cowboy up and do what you're supposed to do. That's an expression some of you will get. You're supposed to be the spiritual leader in your home. Joseph would have been the spiritual leader in his home, but he's gone. And Jesus, as the oldest son, had to take over that role in the household. And now they need somebody to do that and do it correctly. And his brothers are not believers yet. They're not disciples of his. But Jesus had these guys that followed him around for three years, right? Now he's talking about handing his mother to the care of John, but why not one of the other disciples? Well, let me ask you a question. Where were they? We're at the cross. There is no mention of any of the other disciples being at the cross. None of the others. They're not, it's not mentioned, right? Uh, they were probably still cowering in fear, hiding, afraid from the same fate might await them as going with Jesus. You remember how Peter denied even knowing him, right? Why? Because he was scared at the time. And we're going to find later they're gathered up in a room before a resurrection, and they're up there in that room kind of gathered there because what? Most of them are a little bit scared. They might come after us is really why they were all there trying to figure out what they're going to do next. But 
you can read about that in, back earlier in John in chapter 16, 32. John is the only disciple who accompanied these women to the cross. Hey guys, we need to cowboy up again, don't we? Look who came to the cross. The women and the men were hiding. Who was brave? The women and the men were hiding. Now I'm going to tell you, we need to step up and do what we need to do as men of God. John is known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And besides, in this passage we read today, that phrase is used four other times in John's gospel. He doesn't specifically say, I, you know, he doesn't identify, but he's referring to him, probably out of humility. I mean, he, he knows that Jesus loved him, but he, he's not wanting to pat himself on the back in any way. Matthew and Mark record that John, along with John's brother, James, he's got a brother named James too. I know this gets a little confusing. Jesus had a half-brother named James. But John had a brother named James. And Peter, the three of them, were asked, remember when they were in the garden to pray before all this came about, to go a little further away from the rest of the group in the garden as they prayed. And then Jesus stepped away a little further. You know, Jesus loves everybody. He loves all of us, right? But it was obvious that Jesus was a little closer to three people in his ministry. Peter, James, and John. You understand that, don't you? We all have people that are closer to and that we do more things with even though we love other people, but we just we, we can't we can't do everything with everybody. And so Jesus in this physical limitations that are placed upon him during he, being incarnate in the world, he really uh, had a closer relationship earthly with those three guys. And evidently uh, John was one that was special there at the top of the heap. And we know he's special because he is the only one that showed up at the cross. So Jesus knew, he knew that uh, John would look after both his mother's physical needs as well as be a strong spiritual presence for her. Jesus needs people he can count on. Can he count on you? Jesus calls us to serve Him and to be obedient to Him. Can He count on us to be obedient and to serve Him? Would you be willing if Jesus called upon you to take His mother into your home? Would you be willing if He called upon you to take someone into your home? Would you be willing to do whatever Jesus called upon you to do? Now think of this. This is going to be totally different for John. He's going to have to make some adjustments. I mean, anytime somebody else new moves in the house, there's going to be some adjustments, right? Amen. Right? Yeah. Going to have some changes to make. Whether it's bringing home a new baby, you've got to make some adjustments. Somebody's new in the house. Or a family member moves in with you. Or an aged parent needs care and you bring them in. There's going to be some changes. 
So Jesus knew this. So what is it we need to learn from this? What is it that we need to learn from this passage as Jesus told his mother, look over here, look at John. He, you know, look at him. He's your son now. And he told him, look at her. She's your mother now. What do we need to learn from that? Well, one thing we need to learn, A, is that we need to have love for our family. Even in his deep, deep suffering, I mean his pain on the cross, his agony, uh, the, the, the humiliation, the pain, uh, the suffering, all that's going on there. Jesus exhibited great love for his family as he took care of his mother. And we too should love our family even in the hard times. You know, our families are just like other people. They're easy to love in the good times, right? But what about the hard times? And so he was going through a very hard time Yet he loved and exhibited this love for his mother. Well, B, he exhibited responsibility for our families. Jesus gave us a great picture of how we should take care of our families. In his darkest hour in pain, he was thinking about his mother and he was concerned about her welfare over his own. Most of us would be the exact opposite in that situation, wouldn't it? We'd be like, oh, get me off of this thing. Get me off of this cross. Get me out of here. You wouldn't even be thinking about anybody else out there. But he, he cares for his family in his dark hour. Our responsibility, folks, to our parents, listen to me what I'm telling you here. Listen to this. The, the Bible talks a lot about children and their parents. And our responsibility to our parents does not cease, does not disappear once we're grown. If you think it does, you've missed the boat. You've missed all the teachings about honoring those who are your elders and your parents we need to make sure our parents are taken care of as they age and they can no longer take care of themselves. Now, I don't know what that'll look like. It may just mean that you live near them and you check on them each day. It may mean that you have to bring them into your home to take care of them and provide for them. It may mean that you need to provide to get them into a place where they can be cared for. But you can't just ignore that if you just ignore your parents and don't take care of them and their need, you are neglecting the example that Jesus set and what Scripture calls upon us to do. And even as Jesus was dying on the cross for you and me, He took care of His family. We also see the importance of relationships. So I mentioned earlier, Jesus loves everyone. He loves, he loves all of us. The Bible says that. 
But Jesus knew the importance of close relationships that we need to have and the, and the importance of friends, those that we can grab hold of and, and spend time with and do life together with. He spent more time with a group of 12 men in his three years of earthly ministry than with others. Oh, sometime there were crowds of thousands listening to him preach. But most of his time he spent with what? Those 12 men. And apparently he even had a closer relationship with three of those men, as we mentioned. And so it was that relationship, that friendship, that closeness with John that led to Jesus being able to make sure his mother's both physical and spiritual needs would be taken care of once he was with the Heavenly Father. How did he know that? He knew that because he had been around him. He knew John. He knew John. He knew, he, he was, John's commitment was evidence. He was the only one of the twelve right there. Of course, Judas went out and hanged himself after he betrayed him. But where were the rest? John was there at the cross. And so that's why it's so important for us, folks, listen to what I'm saying. That's why it's so important for you to be a part of a small group within the context of the larger church. We all need a small group of people we can learn together, encourage one another, minister to one another, serve together, and hold each other accountable. We need a smaller group of people. And then we need an even smaller group of people that will really we can hang with, we can learn from, that we can tell our deepest secrets to, and we can, they can tell us, and we can encourage one another and, and, and just depend on them. That's biblical, folks. It's biblical. And Jesus, if he had not had that and done that in his life, if he had not done that himself, guess what? He would have been there at the cross looking at his mother out there with no one to take care of her. But you see, he knew he could count on John. Now what do we do with this? Can he count on you? Can Jesus count on you? Can he count on me? Can he depend on us to do whatever it is he needs us to do and calls us to do? I got to admit, folks, uh, I don't know about you, but I fall far short in a lot of areas. But Jesus wants us to be like John. He doesn't want us to be like the other disciples were at the time who were off hiding, cowering in fear, afraid that something might happen to them. Because the truth is, if you follow the Lord and you follow Him completely and you do what you're supposed to do, guess what? Something may happen to you. There are people who are martyred for Jesus Christ around this world every single day of every year. People lose their life because they stand up for Jesus Christ. You could have that happen to you one day. What will you do? He needs somebody to depend on. We need to be like John. 
instead of, you know, like the disciples. We need to be like John instead of his brothers at this time. Now, I don't know in this room if there's somebody here that's in this room who is not a believer yet. Don't be like his brothers were at this point. Be like they were later, but don't wait till later to take care of that. If you're not a believer today, place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Commit your life to Him so that you may faithfully serve Him for the rest of your life. Listen, I want to tell you why this is important. I remember what the very day that, uh, you know, we were talking about treatments for me for my, my cancer years ago, and I asked the doctor, and I'm going to be all. I said, "I'm going to be. Am I going to be okay? I'm going to be all right." He said, "I don't know." He said, "He said, I mean, I said, and I just kind of whoa." And he said, "Oh, he said, I think I'm going to be able to take care of your cancer and keep it under control." But he said, "I'm not in control of a bunch of other stuff." He said, "You might walk out of this building and a bus might run over you. I don't have any control over that." You don't know what will happen to you when you walk out these doors today. You don't know what might happen when you leave this place. You might not make it back into here next week. You're not in control of that. So take care of that today if you're not a believer. If you have not made that personal commitment, don't wait. And let me tell you, please don't wait. And at the end of the service, I'm going to be back there. And if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to talk to you. I want to tell you how you can do that. You know, we want you to know that you know that you know that when your life is over, whether it's next week, next year, 10 years from now, 20, 30 years from now, that you're going to be with the Lord in heaven. What will you do? That is the question. We saw what John did. From that day forward, he took Jesus' mother into his home. What will you do with Jesus? That is the question.